Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 13, and I want to do something a little bit different uh, this afternoon. Um, I mean this sincerely. I think Billy's done a lot of the preaching for us, and I'm grateful. So I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter, and I'm going to ask some more questions. And these are questions that you young people should know. So um, I'm going to look to you first to try to help me. Maybe Josh, maybe Emma Cutler's back there. Is Bella may know. I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot like you must know, but some of these are stories I remember hearing as a little boy and thinking to myself, that's a great story. And then as I got older, I thought, wait a minute, that, that isn't right. So uh, let's see if I can, we can straighten this out so that we're all on the same page and we know what God's told us here. In 1 Samuel 13, uh, I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. 1 Samuel 13, 1, Saul reigned one year, and when he'd reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah, Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistine, a Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philippines, and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Let's pray, and then I'm going to ask my first question. Father, thank you uh, for, for these testimonies. You've provided jobs. Uh, you've provided, um, in Harley's case, Father, we just think, why would he lose a leg? But if that's what it takes for him to be serious about his soul, then, Lord, we, we say, even so, Lord, your will be done. We do pray for his salvation, for him to give a clear testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we're reminded um, that we are to carry your name with us wherever we go and be bold Christians. So help us with that. And as we look at 1 Samuel 13 and some other chapters surrounding it, open our eyes to truth. Help us to see what's in your word. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so I said I had a question already here from the text. Um, um, uh, what, what's the relationship here in 1 Samuel between the Israelites and the Philistines? Are they friends? Are they enemies? Are they maybe just competitors? What, what would you say? One of the young people, Josh, yes, they're enemies. So they're looking for opportunities to kill each other. Does that sound familiar? I mean, we still see in Israel today uh, uh, Arabs who are willing to kill Israelis just because they can. So not a lot has changed, but these two people are enemies. Um, Jonathan is, has uh, attacked some Philistines. The Philistines say, okay, you want a war? We'll, we'll have a war, and they get their people together. Now, who remembers in, in verse 2 it was, yep, in verse 2, how many Israelite soldiers are there? How many Israelite soldiers in verse 2? Again, someone who's, who's uh, younger here. Yes, uh, Edith. There's a lot. There is a lot. There, there's a lot. I won't disagree with that, but it gives us an exact number. Bella, there's more than 12 in verse 2. Look there in verse 2. It's going to tell you how many soldiers there are. Cutler, there's 3,000, right? 2,000 are with, with Saul and 1,000 with Jonathan, so there's 3,000 soldiers. Now, you might not know this one, but this detail stuck out of my head when I was a little boy. Uh, how many spears and swords do these 3,000 people have between them? Caleb, was that you? Yes. Josh, go ahead. They have two. 
You say, how do you know that? That's pretty neat. Well, actually, the Bible tells us that. If you'll go to uh, later on in the chapter, uh, verse 22. So 1 Samuel 13, verse 22. So it came to pass that in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son, was there found. So they've got 3,000 soldiers, but they've only got two real weapons. So what do you think... What do you think, here's we're going to sort of venture off into the realm of of opinion and imagination, but what do you think the other 2,998 people are fighting with? What what kinds of things are they going to be fighting with? Cutler again. Bows and arrows. Yeah, that would be exciting. It might be bows and arrows. It could be. Um, I don't think it was bows. I don't think they had a lot of bows and arrows either. They had some, but not a whole lot. Edith, give me a guess. No, they don't have swords and spears. Uh, Josh, what's that? Yeah, yeah, they may have fists. They may have rocks. They, they probably have um, any sharp farming in- instrument, like a scythe. They might have that. They might have big sticks. I mean, okay, so here's my point. They're not a well-equipped army. There's 3,000 of them, but they're not well-equipped. Now, let's read on. First Samuel 13, verse 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with... Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash. So how many Philistines are there? The Bible doesn't even give us a number. It says there's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and then people like the sand of the sea. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries and they argue about whether it's supposed to be 30,000 or if the number's garbled or whatever. I don't care. There's a lot of guys. And they have swords and they have spears. You only got 3,000 of you. That, that seems like a lot at first. But then you look at those guys and they have a lot more. Now, I just want to remind us of this because so often I think we get in our heads that God's people are always in the advantage. Sometimes it, it seems to us like we are severe disadvantage compared to our enemies. But we're not looking at what we have in our hands. We're looking at our God and trusting Him to work on our behalf. But that's not what they do. So let's read on here. Um, and, and some of the, uh, verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait. Now, uh, straight means in a narrow place. They're, they're between a rock and a hard place. There's not a whole lot of choices here. For the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal and all the people followed him trembling. The ones that are, even the ones who have enough courage not to run away and hide, they're still scared. And in verse 8 it says, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. Uh, Before I read it into verse 9, any of you young people remember why is Saul waiting for Samuel? What, What does he expect Samuel will do when Samuel arrives? Someone besides Cutler or Josh or Bella. Bella's answered one too. Someone who hasn't answered one yet. Maybe Emma. No, no idea. Okay. Maybe Elsie. You don't remember this story either. Okay. Uh, Edith might remember. Edith, what is he waiting for, for, for um, Samuel? Why is he waiting for Samuel? I'm, I'm going to see if I can. Carly knows. 
You don't? Caleb, do you remember? Yeah, Samuel is going to make a sacrifice. So he's waited seven days, day one, day two, day three. Now, I've always wondered, here's a question. I don't think that this is one of the secret things. The Bible doesn't really say. Why are the Philistines waiting? What are they waiting for? I don't know, but they're waiting. Day one goes by. Day two goes by. Day three goes by. Day four goes by. Five, six, seven. We get to say seven. That's the appointed time. That's when Samuel said, hey, I'll be there. But Samuel doesn't show up. Number one, it shows us the importance of being on time, right? Okay, but seriously, uh, that's not the point I want to make. Verse 9, Saul said, verse 9, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Now, how many of you can remember a time in your spiritual life where you knew what God wanted you to do and you knew it involved waiting? But you finally said, you know what? I'm just going to do it. God will forgive me. And you did it. And then it seemed like within the next day or two or week, whatever it was that God, you knew God was going to do for you when you had faith, boy, then it happens. And you're like, oh, I should have just waited. How many of you have ever done that? I have. So we want to be on time, but we also want to be patient. What we, what we want to do is we want to know what God's will is for our lives. This is why Saul was so ineffective as a king because he never seemed to really know what God wanted him to do or when he did, he just ignored it and did it his own way anyway. And so he was constantly dependent. As you read through his story in 1 Samuel, notice how often Saul is asking other people, what does God want me to do? Or, or, or what, what should I do? He gets so desperate that at the end of his life, when he can't get an answer, he goes to the witch and asks her to conjure up Saul's spirit in a, in a vain effort, Samuel's spirit, thank you, Samuel's spirit in a vain effort to get uh, some sort of response because he doesn't know what God wants. So let me encourage you, first, first lesson from this passage is, men, know what God wants for your life and do it. Lead your family. Uh, our wives and our daughters and our sons, although our sons are a little bit slower to realize this, but our, our wives and our daughters, they need us to be spiritually decisive. Now, I don't mean harsh. I don't mean like, I'm doing it this way. You're just going to do it too. No, they need us to be confident that this is what God wants because this is what God wants. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to trust God. And you know what happens is over time, your family sees, yep, that worked out. Yep, that worked out. Yep, that worked out. Not worked out like everything went well, but you can see where God provides. You can see how God leads. As Scotty mentioned today, you can see where those footsteps are and you just followed them. And then when your children grow up, they have confidence that the same God who blessed their parents by leading them, the same God who blessed their parents by providing for them can be a God who provides and leads them. But, but Saul doesn't get that. He doesn't, he's not spiritually decisive. He's very indecisive. But when he decides, he decides wrong. He decides to go ahead and burn the peace offering. And then verse 11, Saul, Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolish, foolishly, for thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Now, what is it? 
and again, we're going to speculate a little bit because it doesn't say right here in the text, but why is it that Saul is not to offer the sacri sacrifice? Right, King Saul. He's not to offer the sacrifice. He's, that the commandment is, no, Saul, you can't offer the sacrifice. Why not? Someone who's younger than I am. Well, younger, much younger than I am. Cutler, go ahead. Right. And yes. And which tribe was that? The Levite. the Levite tribe was the only one to offer the sacrifice. So here's my question for you that didn't occur to me till I was an adult. I heard this story over and over as a kid and didn't occur to me as an adult. What tribe does Samuel belong to? Well, let's look. Um, let's go back to 1 Samuel 1. Now, there was a certain man. This is 1 Samuel 1, verse 1. We're trying to figure out what tribe Samuel belongs to. Now, there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of, and then it gives you a bunch of people. What tribe does he belong to? Now, if I read this text, I just read it, and I'm just looking at it, I see Mount Ephraim, and I say, well, he must have been, um, he must have belonged to the tribe of Ephraim, then he's not supposed to be offering sacrifices either, is he? But there is a solution, by the way, I'm not trying to mess with your minds. I am trying to mess with your minds, but only briefly. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. Hold your place in 1 Samuel, because we're going to come back there, but 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And I, I, frankly, I don't remember who showed this to me, but I didn't find this myself, so don't think that I'm really smart. I'm not. But this was a real help to me, because for a long time I was wondering, so why is Samuel, tribe of Ephraim, he can offer the offering, but Saul, tribe of Benjamin, can't, when only the tribe of Levites are supposed to be offering the offering. And here in First Chronicles chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in uh, verse 33. And these are they that waited with their children of the sons of the Kohathites. Now, Kohath is going to be um, one of Levi's sons. There's actually three sons of Levi that are named for us in these genealogical charts. And one of those is Kohath. And so verse 33 of the sons of Kohath, Heman the singer, Heman a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemuel, the son of Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Eliel, the son of Toa. Now go back. You, you, you're, go, hold your place in 1 Chronicles 6, 33 and 34 and go back to 1 Samuel and notice the genealogy that's given to us for Samuel. He's the son of Elkanah. I go back to 1 Chronicles 6, 33, and I see that there's the son of Elkanah, 34, and I see that there's a son of Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, so I go back and I see there's a son of Jeroham, and then I see it's the son of Elihu, and here it says Elihil, and then I see the son of Tohu, and it's the son of Toa. There's a few um, uh, different spellings, but you can see these are the same forefathers that are given for Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And Samuel's name actually appears in verse 33, where you see the name Shemuel. 
You remember Samuel had two sons? One of his sons was named Joel. So you say, well, yeah, but the spelling is different. Don't let that bother you because a lot of people spell their names funny. Seriously. Um, in fact, my first name is Jeffrey. Nobody calls me Jeffrey, but that is my first name. So whenever I go in and I tell people my first name is Jeffrey, they say, is it J-E-F-F-R-E-Y or is it J-E-F-F-E-R-Y? Which one is the correct spelling? Well, they're both. In fact, some people spell Jeffrey G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. It's, it's all Jeffrey. Don't worry about it. And Shemuel and Samuel, if you, would, if you go back and you learn Hebrew, you'll see that there are different spellings for this guy's name. And this is the guy. Samuel was born in Mount Ephraim, but he belonged to the tribe of the Levites. How did that happen? Here's my next question. Again, I know the answer. I'm not trying to twist your mind. How did that happen? He's born in Mount Ephraim, which would normally belong to the tribe of Ephraim. But he's not of the tribe of Ephraim. He's a Levite. How did that happen? Someone who knows their Bible. How did that happen? Cutler, you've been answering all of them. You're doing a great job, but I'm going to not let you answer this one. How did that happen? Remember when the tribes were divided? How were they divided up? Judah got apart. Benjamin got apart. Uh, Gad and, and Manasseh, half-tribe of Manasseh, and Reuben were on the far side. You had Asher and Naphtali. Yeah, what happened to Levi? That's right. What what land did they get? Uh, I forget exactly which tribes, but they got they got like, cities to say different. That's right. They were scattered throughout the tribes. They were assigned cities within the tribes. So let's go now that we're here. Let's go to uh, Joshua chapter twenty-one, where we see these divisions. Joshua chapter twenty-one and verse twenty. Joshua twenty-one twenty. Of the families of the children of Kohath. Now, do you remember whose son of Levi Samuel belonged to according to 1 Chronicles 6? He was of the Kohathites, right? So he's one of these descendants. So where did the Kohath people get their lands? And of the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, which remained of the children of Kohath, even they had cities of their lot out of the tribe of, what's the next word? Ephraim. That's how his father, Elkanah, who's a Levite, he's not an Ephraimite, he's a Levite, how he ends up in the Mount Ephraim because that's where his, when his Levi, uh, Levitical tribe was scattered, that's where they ended up. And so Samuel is not an Ephraimite, he's a Levite, he's qualified to offer the sacrifice that King Saul is not qualified to offer. So go back to uh, 1 Samuel 13 now. And by the way, that's why I encourage you, if you ever see what appears to you to be a um, contradiction in your Bible, please put some study in. Because often these contradictions are very easily explained once you understand the whole of Scripture. If you look at one verse, it's like, oh, well, Samuel, what's he doing giving the sacrifice? But when you see these other pieces. Oh, well, then what are, what's he doing in Mount Ephraim? Oh, well, that's where he was. Assigned. Oh, okay. Now, now, see, that all makes sense, but you have to study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, right? Okay. Verse um, 14 now. Let's pick up with 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord is looking for men and women, people, humans, who have a heart like God's heart. 
Now, David is not perfect. <laughs> David is not perfect. There's a lot of wicked things. But David had a heart that was after God's own heart. And that's what we want to have. If, just to bring this to a point. That's what we want to have. That's what Sa Saul, excuse me, that's what Saul lacked. He didn't have a heart after God's own heart. He was more interested in trying to manipulate God to get God to do things his way, which is the whole purpose of him sacrificing, right? So that he can win the battle. So he can make God be on his side. Hophni and Phinehas had the same wrong concept of God when they carried the, the, the Ark of the Covenant out to battle as if it was a, a weapon of war. And they could force God to, you know, you have to win now, God. You're right here with us. David was, was a man after God's own heart. And let me encourage you to make that your focus. Have a heart that's after God's own heart. Have a heart that's after God. Don't, don't see your relationship with God as a bunch of rituals and rules. And, you know, if you follow and then God owes you something. I'm gonna, I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot the last week. And I've not prepared the message yet. But there's a lot of Christians that are trying to make a grand bargain with God. And their grand bargain runs something like this. God, I'll do what you want, but you have to keep me happy. God doesn't always do what makes you happy. Even when you're doing what's right. Not everything always breaks your way. Bad things still happen. Reverses come. Illness, chronic illness. Uh, 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 unusual circumstances. Financial reverses. And if your grand bargain with God is, okay, God, I'll obey you, but you've got to keep me happy. What happens when those things come that make us unhappy? We say, well, I'm not going to keep, God didn't do what, what I, so I, he didn't keep his, and I'm not going to keep. That's not going to be a successful Christian. Saul tried to make a grand bargain with God. And, and, and of course, God never failed Saul, but Saul failed God. And Samuel said, I'm, we're not here to make bargains. God's looking for a man who has his heart who knows what God's heart is, and he, the man, conforms his heart to match what God's heart is. So that's my challenge to you this afternoon. Be a man, be a woman after God's own heart. Don't try to manipulate God. Don't make a grand bargain with God. Don't, God, if I do this, you've got to do that. that that's not a man after God's own heart. That's a person after their own heart trying to make God after their heart. Be the type of person that says, God, what is your heart? That's the heart I want to have. Change my heart, God, so that it matches your heart. Be a man, be a woman after God's own heart. Father, thank you for the uh, afternoon. I've been blessed by the time of fellowship. I've been blessed by the food and your, uh, these testimonies of your goodness. You are so good to us. We ought to love you more than we do. And we want to say publicly, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your strength that you give to us each day. And uh, Father, I know there are folks that are here that are struggling. Uh, you've put some heavy weights upon them. Give us the grace to endure, to be patient, not to be like Samuel trying to manipulate the circumstances to cause you to work, but to be patient and to give you time to work, or to be decisive where you want us to step up and do something, to say something. Give us boldness at our places of work. 
this week to be a, a witness for Jesus Christ. Give us boldness as we're out and about in the community, shopping, uh, looking, exercising, whatever it is. Have that boldness to speak up for Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would bless us with hearts that are after your heart, that are much like your heart. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.